It's really cool to be here, and uh, if you're here for the very first time, if you're visiting, maybe like you're visiting church for the first time, somebody invited you, and you're like, mm, church, uh. um, I'm really glad that you're here this uh tonight, because uh, it's going to be a little bit different. One, because I'm not the usual speaker here, but also usually what would happen at this point, right, you kind of expect it, guy's going to get here, he's got a Bible on the thing, so that's going to happen, um, but it's it's kind of not. Uh, today, I'm sort of going to church speed date you a little bit. Uh, we're going to do a little family talk, a little uh, pushing pause on your classic sermon, and uh, we're going to talk a little business, a little family, a family meeting. Uh, if you've thought that church has like a secret agenda and that we have a plan, uh, I'm about to prove to you that we do have a secret agenda. It's not going to be a secret for much longer. Um, if you don't do public speaking very often, let me give you a secret. Uh, the sooner you get the crowd on your side, the better. So asking you to move a seat forward, that probably works negatively towards me. Hopefully... The easiest way uh, to get a crowd on board is to show an embarrassing picture review from several decades ago. I've, I'm only 28, but I can do 11. So that's me <laughs> at 11. Uh, the reason I hate this photo so much is because it's a cold sore right there, <laughs> right in the middle. Um, but if you need to know tonight that uh, our God can do miracles, you need to know that that guy eventually married that lady. So if God can do that for me, he could do that Anyway, that is how you get a crowd on side. So the reason I show you this photo, one, because it's horrific and it's kind of hilarious. Man, I was a dork. Uh, is, uh, I want to share a look. So at 11, I, was, uh, I started coming to this church. Uh, my, my parents and I and the rest of my brothers and sisters had, had been going to this Methodist church since I was a little kid. My parents had grown up in this church. They got married in this church. And uh, there was a pretty ugly church split. You might know of those. They, they sometimes happen. Anyway, we found ourselves going to this place called North City Vineyard. It wasn't here. It was at Northcote College down at Onewa Road. And uh, I turned up as an 11-year-old, and we, this is where we started going to church, uh, my family. Within like two or three weeks, I found this. This, <laughs> my friends, is an overhead projector or OHP. This is a Novo 1000, in case you're wondering. It's amazing what you can find when you Google image search stuff. Has anybody in the room never physically touched one of these? You could, you could honestly say you haven't. Okay, Are you, I figured there'd be one. Oh, Jono, classic Jono. Um, this, this thing's probably older than you are, Jono. Um, so yeah, the Novo, the Novo 1000. This became my job, right, on a Sunday morning as I would turn up a few minutes early and I would work the overhead projector for worship. Some people in the room were here. They'll, they'll vouch for this story uh, that this is what I did. And then that glorious, glorious day in the early thousands where we got one of these bad boys. This is the actual projector we had. Uh, it was a box light and it was a beast. It weighed more than me. And uh, it's, it was awesome. We got a laptop and we started using PowerPoint and it was all very fancy. Uh, now, obviously, we've kind of moved on. But this was my job. On a Sunday, I'd get there early and I would bring the laptop and I'd set up this projector. Uh, we'd prop it up with Bibles or dictionaries because we were in a school, depending on which ones I could find. And that was what I did. Eventually, I got promoted to taking care of this bad boy, the Mackie SR244. Again, this is the actual sound desk we used to have. Until we moved into this building a few years ago, every single Sunday, I sat behind this thing. If you read the original Hebrew of the Genesis creation story, on the seventh day when God rested, he also made this. That's how old it is. It is 
brutal, but it was a champion and it worked. And again, that was where I was every single Sunday. Shifting gears uh, a little bit, there was uh, a youth group in our church, and so I was sort of 11, 12, 13 in the early days of, of coming to Vineyard, and uh, for the first time in its history, North City Vineyard had a youth pastor. It was a guy called Jason D'Souza. He is the tall one on the right. I'm the other guy in the photo. My sister is next to me. You may recognize a couple of others uh, in the photo. And this guy was a trooper because he saw something in me that I didn't necessarily see or a lot of others didn't see. Uh, and he invited me to help him run our youth group at 13 or, or 14. At the time, I didn't actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. I was invited by Jason constantly to come to youth group, come to events. He's like, look, just come and hang out. And it's not like I hated youth group or I hated the people who were there. Again, some of them in the room. But they, it just wasn't necessarily, you know, I was an awkward kid. Remember the 11-year-old photo that I showed you? You can, you can see that. But he constantly invited me. And Winter Camp 2014... At Lake Topol Christian Camp, I went at the basically nagging of Jason D'Souza, and that's where I took this, I go to church because it's my job, to I actually now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is now kind of a, a cool part of my life and has been ever since. And sure, I, I kept coming back on Sundays to do the laptop and to do the sound stuff, but like this was where I was, you know, that, that, that was where I became a Christian. I actually went back about seven years later with a beard and the beanie cap, which I, that's, this is the same exact beanie cap as 2010, to the same camp uh, as, as MC and as one of the speakers for the, for the weekend. Again, just bringing kids into a relationship with Jesus Christ and pointing them to Jesus as best as possible. For the reason I tell you that story, one, because the photos are cool and it's good to reminisce, uh, but I, I really want you to, to highlight, oh, there's a little bit more to this story. I became a church intern. Um, this was not my intern year. This was a few years ago. You may recognize some of the people in this photo. Uh, but yeah, I dropped out of high school a year early because uh, I was doing sound and I was doing the laptop stuff all the time. They figured that I may as well start working for the church. And so Dan Sheed, who's the guy in the cap, just off to the left of where I am. Why am I facing backwards? I don't know. Um, uh, I was, so again, I was helping him lead youth. I was doing some sound and some tech stuff. And it's, it's kind of led me to, to where I am now, which is running our youth group. As, as Calvin said, I'm, I'm the pastor of the most awesome group of young people you will find almost anywhere. And also Nick claiming the best photo bomb in the top right. Um, classic Nick. Uh, so the reason I tell you the story, like I said, one, the photos are cool, and it, I don't know, it's kind of a nice story, I think, but it highlights for me that Sunday is the best day of the week. Sunday has always been, for me, the best day of the week, and not just that, but it's been the best day of the week because of this local church, because of what has now become Shaw Vineyard. So if you are here for the first time, I think you found a really good spot, and if you've been coming here for a while, you'll know this may well be true for you as well. You love coming here at six o'clock on a Sunday. If you didn't love it, you wouldn't come. So I don't know. But hopefully you have this question inside of you. And I say hopefully because I've attributed this quote to you right now. How do I make Sunday the best day of my week? How, what, what is it about my story that you can link to? What is it that you could do to make Sundays a great day for you and not just I go to church because it's a thing I do 
it's you know my Sunday wouldn't be complete if I didn't see a certain person or or you know if I didn't if I didn't come here. How can you make Sunday the best day of your week? So before I answer it, a couple of reasons I want to answer it. There are some things that have to happen in order for Sundays to be awesome for the people who are here. So it's just some like some standard things that have to go down. But also there are some things that have to happen so that Sundays can be great for people who aren't here yet. Your friends, your family members, just people who will find our church, there are some things that we can do now that will make Sunday the best day of their week. And the key word that I would love you to remember from, from today is, is engage. We need you to engage. Uh, and so I don't normally preach to an outline, but here's where we're going. Connect, serve, give, and invite. I'm going to give you like four mini sermons in the next 15 minutes about each of these things, hopefully pointing you to making Sunday the best day of the week and not just Sunday is the day that I go to church for an hour and 15 minutes, drink some pretty nice coffee, sit next to some pretty cool people, and then I go and nothing is really different. So let's start off, connect and, and connect in a group. The early church was kind of amazing and it was kind of revolutionary because uh, it was a gathering of people, it was groups of people who normally wouldn't associate with one another. And, and, and small groups isn't like an added tack on to, to our faith. It's at its very core, this is what Christianity is about. Because the way it used to be was you, would, you were all about pleasing the God. And you would go to a temple, you would worship there, you would make a sacrifice there in the hope that the gods would show you favor. And then Jesus came and kind of flipped it over. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And then he went on, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Everyone will know you're following me if you love one another. It's almost like he had a point. The, the rules have kind of changed. It's not you have to show love to me. You have to do things for me. You'll, I'll know that you love me by how you treat everybody else. We are a, a love one another faith. Uh, one of my favorite questions to kind of ponder and favorite's not really the right word because it involves disaster, uh, is what would happen to church if the pastors weren't here? I mean, Vic and Fran, who are the, the pastors of this church, they're not here now and, and church is functioning. But like, what would happen if something happened to them? Is there like a, you know, a line of succession? What would happen if something happened to Calvin? Or let's make it worst possible case scenario. Let's say something happens to Vic, Fran, Calvin, everyone who's on staff in our church, and that includes me, uh, and this place burns to the ground. Like, what, what happens with church? Or let's make it even worse, and let's say that every pastor everywhere in New Zealand contracts some sort of virus, and all of their buildings burn to the ground. What would happen to the church of New Zealand? Or what would happen to every church in the world? If the huge, massive mega churches, like your, your Joel Osteens, your Rick Warrens, your Andy Stanleys, your Louis Giglios, like if they all got this like drop-dead virus to the ground, what would happen to Christianity? And the answer is... On Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, little pockets of people would meet in each other's living rooms, and they would talk about their weeks. They would maybe open a Bible and, and you know, learn something from it, try and apply it to their lives. They'd pray for one another. They would make sure everyone was doing all right. If someone was having a baby, they would make meals for them, because Christians love doing that. You know, the crock pot, slow cooker meal for new families, it's like the classic quintessential thing. They would make sure that everyone was all good. Christianity would still run. It's never been personality or facility dependent. Never has been. Because if it did, if, if it was, 
it still wouldn't be here 2,000 years later, despite all the persecution of the early church. We're still here, and it's because of groups. It's because for thousands of years, people haven't been satisfied with rows. Rows are good. This is rows, and this is awesome. There's something about collecting together and worshiping together and being amongst a big group of people, all believing the same thing and, and, and hearing teaching. That is awesome. But if that is it, you are missing out. You've got to get into a circle. You've really got to plug into a small group or just catch up for coffee with someone a couple times across a month, every fortnight or once a week or whatever. Just get into each other's lives. This is how you can engage and make Sunday a great day of the week. Next, serve on a team. There is some stuff in every business that is what they call mission critical. In any organization, mission critical. And if it's like retail, it's like, Okay, the till has to work. It doesn't really, you know, that's not going to make sales, but you can't do any sales if the till doesn't work or if, like, if, you know, the, the checkout's not going. In whatever business it is, if you can't get the computer to function, even if you want to do your job and you're really good at your job, if the things, if the tech's not going, it's not going to happen. And there are some things that are like that in a church. There's just stuff that's got to get done so that we can have a chance at doing what it is we do on a Sunday, inviting people uh, to see Jesus. Here are six that I could think of ways that you can serve in our church. Hospitality, which is things like making coffee and just being nice to people. Standing at the doors and you know, welcoming them in, helping them find where they're supposed to sit. Uh, on Sunday mornings where we have like, a lot of families around, it's like plugging kids into history that blesses hundreds of families every month here on the North Shore. You can work in production. If you don't like to talk to people or you're kind of tech savvy, you can be on sound, you can be on AV, you can kind of just work behind the scenes across the week to make church happen. Again, it's a thankless job. A lot of these are thankless jobs, but it's kind of just how Sunday works. The three on the right are the ones that I kind of want to focus on for a little bit. Kids, seek, and invasion. Seek, as Calvin said, is our uh, environment on a Sunday morning for uh, kids in year seven, eight, and nine, so like 11 to 13, 14. Kind of like think about you when you were that age. Think about the photo of me when I was that age and how awkward and how kind of unsettling that time of life is. And then think about the awesome adult who was there for you in your life. It might have been a teacher. It might have been a coach. It might have been just a, like one of your friends, mums or dads, who was just this awesome, cool person that you knew you could talk to. And this has nothing almost to do with like faith or whatever. This is just having someone who's not your parents that you can go and talk to. And we need those for our students because at a time when they're asking so many questions, it's good to have people that they can ask them to. Not necessarily so they can get an answer straight away necessarily, but just someone who, know, who they know is going to show up in their life week in and week out. Ask them how sports practice is going. Ask them how this thing is going on at home. Like what's going on in life. I just need some people to love on teenagers. It's a hard gig at times because teenagers can be weird, but it is so so awesome. When you see the light bulb go on, when you see them take a step towards Jesus, when you get to baptize a kid who has been a pain in the neck for months, and then you see them take a step towards Jesus, and you see them, like you, they come to you after youth group one Wednesday night, and they say, hey, like, what's the whole baptism thing about? Like, it crushes you. You are just like, this is what it is for. So with that, I say, do you want to help? 
on Sunday mornings, especially, it'd be great to have some small group leaders because I'm good, but I'm not that good. We have like 15 and growing kids that arrive and we hang out in this little room down the end of the hallway. And it was fine when there was only like four or five of us, but they're inviting their friends at an alarming rate. So a few more bodies on the ground. Again, I don't want to ask their parents to do it. One, because their parents will say no. And two, because the kids will say no to having their parents there. So if you could be awesome young people and come and be awesome role models. Again, it's not necessarily hard. Like you don't have to be a theologian because I'm not. You don't have to be like super spiritual. You just got to turn up. You just got to turn up, eat snacks and be friendly. If you want to talk about it afterwards, we can. But this is where you can step up. This is one of the ways that over 20 years that I've been coming to this church, this is why Sunday's rule. Matt wants a shout out because he's one of my small group leaders. Oh, and kids, because Matt runs kids on Sunday mornings as well. Again, and leaders are necessary there. These are things that we need just to make church happen so that church can continue to be an awesome place for you to invite people, for other people to come in. The reason why our church grows and the reason why families love our church is because Sunday morning rules. If you've never been here on a Sunday morning, it's awesome. The kids love it. We have kids dragging their parents back to church because they like it. And then their parents, it starts to grow on them as well. Like, it's a cool time for everyone, but we try and make it as awesome as possible for kids and for students. So that's Engage. Okay, give a percentage. This is the touchy one. This is the one that's like, I knew it. The secret agenda is to get my money. No, it's not about that. Giving a percentage is um, kind of the step up. There's giving 1.0. And giving 1.0 is, is awesome. Giving 1.0 is is seeing the guy or the girl get up on stage with a microphone and they plead their case. They show you some, or an ad comes on TV and they show you photos or videos of some epic natural disaster or some kind of, you know, kids in poverty. And they say give. And you get your credit card out and you go 100% absolutely. And then you get in your car afterwards or you look at your credit card bill and you're like, why did I do that? I could not afford to make that call. Um, but you feel good in the moment because the, uh, the, like the heartstrings were tugged, the emotions were pulled and you're good. Giving 1.0 is fine and, and it's all good and, and it's needed. But giving 2.0 is way, way better because giving 2.0 changes the world. I heard it put this way, giving uh, 1.0 is intervention giving. It is, there is a crisis, there is a problem, and so you give to solve that problem, right? Giving 1.0 is, I want to be part of the solution. Something bad is going on, and I want to help out. Giving 2.0 is prevention giving. It is stopping the problem from existing in the first place. Some examples. Giving 1.0 is giving uh, to, uh, it's helping um, find, uh, find places for kids who are in foster care so that they have places to go. Giving 2.0 Make sure families stay together so the kid doesn't have to go into foster care in the first place. Giving 1.0 is where you'd help women get out of sex slavery and stop children being shuffled around and sold and all that sort of horrible stuff that Calv was mentioning before. Giving 2.0 supports those families so they don't have to sell their kids into that sort of industry in the first place. Giving 1.0 is the emergency food parcel that food banks like ours and awesome ministries around the place will hand to the single mum of four who doesn't know where tomorrow's breakfast is coming from. But giving 2.0 supports the organization that'll get that mum on her feet and offer her financial advice and assistance so that she doesn't need the food parcel at all. 
Giving 1.0 helps Youthline or Helpline or teens right on the edge of taking their own life. Giving 2.0 supports things like a youth group, a church community youth group that feeds teenagers this message of hope so that they know without a shadow of a doubt that they're loved and that their life has value. That's the difference between intervention giving and prevention giving. Intervention giving is real easy because it's emotional and it's spur of the moment and it feels great and it's great and, and you know and and both are needed. Don't don't hear me say that you should stop you know doing random acts of giving. You should totally do it. In fact, if you do giving 2.0, if you can make that regular commitment, going you know what I want to I want to give to organisations and be there long term. Even if it's just the menial stuff, like if my donations going towards paying for light bulbs or paying for curriculum or paying for snacks for youth group or wages, all that sort of boring stuff. Like if it's going to that, I just want to be a steady, faithful giver, so that. Intervention is not required. But it actually makes giving 1.0 easier because you know that it works. You know that the problem can be solved. You know that there are ways to prevent it and that there are, no's, that there are ways to stop it. A healthy local church, there is data for this. So you, can, you can Google it up a storm. A healthy local church in a community is one of the best possible things. If you see you know, disaster relief from like the United States, or even if you go back a few more years, the Christchurch earthquake, the first responders, a lot of the, pe- a lot of the places people went was local churches because they had the facilities and they had the manpower. Christians leapt to action and they were like, what can we do to help? Straight away, what can we do to help? And so communities rally around a local church. It's an easy investment because it prevents problems before they happen. Sorry, I'm kind of rushing through this, but I realize I'm short on time. So connect in a group, serve on a team, give a percentage, invite a friend. This one is crucial because as someone who helps to make church happen and as a group of people who help make church happen, it is really easy to keep church for us. It is really easy. In fact, um, some church blog that I was reading had this. The gravitational pull is towards keeping people rather than reaching people. We like the way we do it because it's good for us. But if we keep doing it the way that's good for us, it may not be great for someone who's not here. And this is why I'm stoked. If you're here for the first time, you've got to know that we want to reach out. We want to meet you where you're at. And we want to point you to this person of Jesus and what a relationship with him could look like. But if we just get so caught up in it being us and for us, we're going to miss so much of the point. There's this great story in the beginning of the Gospels where Jesus is starting to collect his disciples, the guys who are going to be his guys. And he uh, has this guy, Philip, who he says, come follow me. And Philip says, am I allowed to invite a friend? Jesus says, no, of course not. Of course, no. Jesus said, yes, absolutely, go grab him. And so Philip finds Nathanael and tells him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the one about all of the prophets whom they wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You've got to check this guy out. Nathanael's reply, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? It's almost, and apologies if you're from like, I don't know. The example that my wife came up with was, was Hamilton. It's like, Hamilton, really? Can anything good come from, you know, like, you know, like Northcote College, you went there? Can anything good come from there? Like, honest, really? You're seriously inviting me to see this guy? You want to invite me to church? It's just going to be a guy who's just going to wap on about nothing that's relevant and it doesn't really mean anything. And church doesn't know the answer to my problems. Really? Can anything good come from church? Here are your magic three words. Okay, to invite someone to church. Come 
and see. Come and see. I don't know all the answers to your life problems, says Philip. I don't know if he's going to have the answers to your financial difficulty or if he's going to know how to fix the broken marriage or how to get your kids to behave or how to, I don't know, get your boss to treat you like a human being. I don't know if he's got the answers. He's got something. Just come and see. If I could only get him close enough to Jesus that he might see what's going on, maybe something might happen. If only I could get, and you'll know someone. It's like, if only they would come to the door of our church, they would meet incredible people. And we put a lot into Sundays in making sure that this is an environment where Jesus can be met week in and week out. And it comes thanks to all those other things about people meeting in groups, about just steadily giving a little bit every single week, about people who serve week in, week out, just to make it happen so that when you invite someone, They can meet Jesus here. Come and see. An invitation saved my life. It did. The nagging, the constant, you should just come to camp, come to youth group, come along. You should come. It saved my life. That's why I'm here. And I don't think anyone is going to be like anti you inviting them. The worst they'll get is they'll laugh and they'll say no. But if they come here and they meet Jesus and it saves their life, you get to be a part of that story. Sure, only a small part. You get, you know, it's Jesus as the hero, but you get your name in the liner notes. You get sort of the, I was there a little bit. I planted that seed of, hey, come and see. What's the worst that could happen? It's church. There's good coffee, if nothing else. And maybe you might meet a savior. Who knows? You have a network. You have a story. And people should come and see. So there you go. Connect in a group. Serve on a team. Give a percentage. Invite a friend. A couple of things, and then I'm done. There is no guilt if you are on a break. If you have been serving, if you have been giving, if you've been inviting, if you have been connecting, and you are just like a little tired, or you're kind of on pause for a bit, that's cool. I get it. Seasons of life change. Sunday morning may not be a great time for you. Sunday night may not be a great time. You are spent, and that's all good. But If you maybe took a break a year ago, or four years ago, or if you've been coming here for a little while and you want to know how, this is your easy opportunity. Talk to Calv, talk to me, talk to anybody around, and we can point you in a direction to do one of these things. My goal for you tonight is to decide to do at least one of the four, ideally all of the four, in some capacity, but look to the one where you're like, yeah, I I really should be at least making an effort to get to know the people that I sit next to every Sunday. I should send the occasional text and see if anybody wants to come to the pub with me or meet up for coffee during the week. I really should be serving. I've got a couple of hours free on a Sunday morning, and while I hate the idea of hanging out with teenagers, I can make a pretty good cup of coffee, so maybe I'll serve there. We're not going to get you to do something you suck at because you suck at it, so let's get you where your skills are going to be best used. I know I should be giving a percentage. And the thing about regular giving is it's an easy habit to start now when you have almost nothing and you're making bugger all on a part-time job with a student allowance. And then as the money you start to make starts to go up, it's easy to keep the percentage the same because you've already started. Start at three as a percentage. Like it doesn't have to be huge. 
and invite a friend. You could do this tomorrow. You could do this now. You could get out your phone and you could text someone. And it's like, hey, next Sunday you should be here where I am. Again, I won't be here. Oh, no, I will be here next Sunday because my wife's playing on the worship band. So I will be hanging out. Um, but you should invite people. Come and see. I've got two quotes to wrap it up and then I'm done. One of them is from Andy Stanley, one of the pastors I mentioned before. If you don't know him, he uh, is the leader of a huge network of churches, one of the fastest growing and probably biggest churches in the States, North Point in Atlanta. And uh, in, in his book, Deep and Wide, he, he has this absolute pearler of a line, which isn't coming up on the screen. If you could help me out, that would be great. There we go. One of the most important things you can be part of in your life is a local church. And here's why. It was here before you. It'll be here after you, and the local church is the hope of the world. There is no other organization as committed to reaching people for Jesus as the local church. This is what we exist for. This is what we do. And you can be a part of that by engaging. That's how it works. It'll be here. It's been here before you. It'll still be here after you're gone, and this is what we're about. The other one, and my personal favorite, is from an old Aussie guy. I have to call him old Aussie guy because it's a second-hand quote. It's from a guy, a friend of mine told me this story. He was talking to this old Aussie guy about church planting in Australia. Would you believe it? Um, and he said, look, here's why this is really important. If you love your city or your friends or your colleagues or your parents or your siblings, if you love your city more than you love your church, you'll do it. They were talking about church planting and about the effort that it takes, like all the amount of people it takes to get it started, all the money that it takes to get it started, all of the inviting that it takes to get started. And this guy had been doing this thing for four decades. And he's like, why are you still doing this? And he's like, because I love my city and I love my community more than I like the idea of church being mine. So I've got to do it. And if you love your city, if you love your community, your network more than you love your church, You'll do it too. At least I think you would. Some old Aussie guy thinks you would as well. So, with that said, could I get you to stand? I hope, despite my very fast talking and the awkward photos at the beginning, something, I don't know, something may, may have snapped in you and you may have tuned me out within minutes, but I'm hoping for a few of you, most of you, that you could make some sort of step. I don't know. So I'm just going to allow a little bit of time to, to think on how can I engage? What can I do to, to, to serve, to connect, to give, to invite? And, and the one that's really hitting me at the moment is invite. Who is it in your world that you're going to come across in the next seven days where the easy sentence, come and see, could come up in conversation? you know what, I don't know the answer to your financial problems. I don't know the answer to why God lets bad things, or why good things happen to bad people. Just come and see. I, I can't guarantee church will have the answer that this next Sunday, but you might meet a personal savior. So let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to sing, to hang out with one another, to have coffee. And God, hopefully to be a little inspired about the importance of Sundays and why they are the best day of the week for me and hopefully for all of us. That what happens here on a Sunday is super important. That this isn't just a tack on to our lives. That actually this 
could become part of our very core, even if we're not employed to do it, even if we're not on staff. But actually, we have a part to play. So we thank you for what you've done in all of our lives. We thank you for Jesus sending him to die for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.